Good morning. Uh, the meeting will come to order and welcome to the February 2nd, 2023 regular meeting of the Government Audit and Oversight Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I'm Supervisor Dean Preston, Chair of the Committee, joined by uh, our new Vice Chair and welcome to the Committee, uh, Supervisor Catherine Stephanie, uh, who's remotely with us uh, today on Teams, uh, and also Supervisor Connie Chan. Uh, the Committee Clerk is Stephanie Cabrera, and I want to thank our team uh, at uh, SFGovTV for staffing this meeting. Madam Clerk, any announcements? Yes, thank you, Chair. The Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment. While still providing remote access and public comment via telephone, the Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those joining us in person will be allowed to speak first, then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line for those watching either channel 26, 28, 78, or 99, and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. The number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. Then enter meeting ID 2499-524-8697, then press pound twice. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and the public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak along the curtain wall, and those on the telephone should dial star 3 to be added to the speaker queue. If you are calling in, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices that you may be using. As already indicated, we will take public comment from those attending in person first, then we will go to our public comment telephone line. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in one of the following two ways. Email them to myself, the Government Audit and Oversight Clerk at stephanie.cabrera, C-A-B as in Bay, R-E-R-A, at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall at 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. Finally, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of February 14th, unless otherwise stated. Thank you, Chair Preston. That concludes my announcements. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And um, before we call the first item, as I mentioned, um, we have a, a new GAO member, so I really do want to welcome you. Uh, Vice Chair Stephanie to the, the GAO committee. I also want to thank Supervisor Peskin for uh, uh, reappointing me as chair to continue serving on this committee and want to thank uh, him also for reappointing uh, Supervisor Chan to the committee as so we can continue a lot of our work and now we are strengthened by the addition of Supervisor Stephanie. So uh, welcome. And um, I, we will go ahead, Madam Clerk, and call item number one. Item number one is a resolution receiving and approving the annual report for the Greater Union Square Business Improvement District for fiscal year 2020 through 2021. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2499-524-8697, then press pound twice. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. The system will prompt and indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait for the system to indicate that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, and for this item, uh, 
want to welcome uh, Mimi Haraki and Chris Corgis from Office of Economic and Workforce uh, Development. And uh, we'll hear first uh, from, looks like, uh, from Ms. Haraki uh, and then from the Executive Director um, of the Union Square Alliance. So the floor is yours. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Good morning, supervisors. Uh, my name is Mimi Haraki. I am a project specialist with OEWD, and I help provide oversight to San Francisco's Community Benefit District Program. Oh, and today we are covering Union Square's <coughs> annual report for fiscal year 2020 to 2021. CPDs are governed by two pieces. <coughs> Sorry. CPDs are governed by two pieces of legislation, the first one being the 1994 Act, also known as the California Streets and Highways Code, Section 36600, and the second one being Article 15, also known as the SF Business and Tax Regulations Code. OEWD is charged with ensuring that all CBDs are meeting their management plans, specifically that they are providing services as outlined in their management plans and that they are spending assessment funds accordingly. Those findings are detailed in the memo of in your packets and summarized in today's presentation. This is an overview of the CBD that we will be reviewing today. Union Square Alliance is a property-based CBD and expected to expire, expire by 2029. The four benchmarks that OEWD reviews um, are covered in the slide. Benchmark one compares the current year budget to the management plan budget. The benchmark two confirms that the non-assessment revenue obligations were met. Benchmark three confirms the CBD's budget to actuals are within 10 percentage points. And benchmark four is uh, whether the carry forward is identified and if projects have been designated. In this reporting year, Union Square has met all four benchmarks. Uh, we have also found that Union Square continued to identify needs and uh, solutions to bring both local and international visitors to the area to support local businesses, uh, such as forming an economic recovery task force. Uh, they have partnered with community and city stakeholders to activate and improve public spaces, including its streets, alleys, parks, and plazas. Uh, two great examples are Union Square Park and Halliday Plaza. Uh, there were no reported violations of the Brown Act within the reporting period. They complied with OED's memo regarding surveillance technology reporting requirements. Uh, they have an active board and committee members, and they are well positioned to carry on their mission. And that ends the OEWD's portion of the presentation. Uh, if you have no questions for me or Chris, uh, I'd like to invite up Marissa to the podium. Thank you, and uh, welcome, Ms. Rodriguez. The floor is yours. Well, good morning, supervisors. Thanks for having me here, uh, Chair Preston, and to our Madam Clerk as well. And I want to say good morning to the community who's here with us. Um, my name is Marissa Rodriguez. I am the CEO of the Union Square Alliance. Today we are reporting on a time period, 2021, where I actually wasn't here, but um, I joined in October of 21. But I do know some of the great things that were happening uh, during this time. The Business Improvement District, um, our mission is to certainly provide, as best we can, a, a visitor destination, an environment that is inclusive, an environment that is um, enjoyable and really supports our city's economic vitality. Um, and so we do that through a number of 
mechanisms. I, our, our largest charge, and I'll speak to that in just a bit, is clean and safe in providing that direct service. We're 27 city blocks, 660 parcels of property, and we work tirelessly to ensure that the community feels supported. Our assessment methodology during this time period, and still to, to this day, um, is broken down in these areas. So linear sidewalk frontage, lot square footage, building square footage, type of land use, zone, with a total assessment budget of $6,020,000. Um, linear frontage is the majority, about 70% is what we consider for the assessment. So it's primarily our linear frontage and really the service area that we um, support through power washing, cleaning, et cetera. So um, with respect to cleaning and safety services, the clean and safe services include a 24 hour, seven day a week staff dispatch so that we call our member services. We provide support around the clock to our members um, to address cleaning needs, any security issues, and any support that um, our members feel like that they need throughout the night. Um, you can imagine when there are incidents profile incidents like the one we experienced back in November, uh, this came in great handy. Um, we provide service to the park, Union Square Plaza. Um, we also provide additional security with our camera system. And then we also provide uh, Legion private security, a, a patrol service. Now is 24 hours, at that time was um, overnight um, and in the later half of the day. We have we, the SF uh, Police Department's Community Ambassador Program started here in Union Square, and um, we provide additional safety and security staffing with our ambassadors. I was given five minutes, and I do want to speak a little bit more about the pandemic time, so um, I do have these stats here. I'm going to address a couple of them. If there are questions afterwards, I'm happy to go into more detail. Um, we collected about 385,000 pounds of trash during that time period removed 18,634 hazardous waste units, um, primarily fecal matter and um, syringes, graffiti tags, 43,075 quality of life incidents were addressed, um, and our private security alone addressed about 8,345 incidents. Happy to go into more detail. So during this time, um, we were still very much deep in the pandemic. Um, and so marketing, engagements, activations in the, out, in the community um, became very important. It was a time when our organization rebranded. So you'll see the colors, the flags. Um, the beginning of our slide really acknowledges the um, new color scheme for the, for the bid and a new name, the Union Square Alliance. Um, the Saturday music series in Union Square was started, so we offered music and performances and concerts for those who could not perform indoors. We had that outside for all to enjoy. And John's Grill on Ellis Street also hosted a number of outdoor activations, the ballet, fashion shows for the community during the pandemic in this time, so we thank them. We embarked on a social media strategy um, trying to engage the community that way since we could no longer be in person. Um, and those accounts have actually been quite successful. I believe at this time we um, garnered about 85,000 followers and continue to communicate, and I think we're close to 100,000 followers on Instagram now. 
And that really speaks to us as a destination market and really trying to support the vitality of uh, the district, but not just the district, citywide. Streetscapes at this time. So if you recall, there were a lot of boarded up buildings um, during this time period in light of the um, social unrest that was happening in the, in the square at that time. Um, and a lot of businesses shuttering. And so we embarked on a mural project in an art walk, and that was through Paint the Void. Um, and the art walk was something that we engaged our community and our members um, and stakeholders in, and it was a successful opportunity to understand what was being expressed through art during that time. We also continued with our flower basket program to continue to beautify the district, um, despite you know, all the shuttered businesses. Um, and the signage, you started to see the, the flags go up with our branding and other um, beautification efforts, and then we repaired the gates at Maiden Lane. We also um, started our holiday lighting program. So you started to see the palm trees lit, and when I came on, decided that that should stay year-round, and since then, we've added more. And then, of course, the Halliday Plaza refresh, so adding signage, banners, plantings, um, and really trying to create a, what was a very transitory area into something that people could enjoy and use, the community could use. Um, the advocacy that occurred during this time period, a lot around the COVID-19 efforts and economic recovery. Uh, we embarked with um, one of our contractors on an economic recovery sort of task force effort. Um, we worked hard to bring back the cable car. That was something really important to the district and certainly for supporting tourism um, and to maintain that element when a lot of other businesses and other, um, it, it, I guess, destination experiences were closed. Um, we also launched the SFPD Ambassador Program, as I mentioned, that we were the first location for that program. And um, I mentioned the Halliday Plaza revitalization, and then some additional work around the Economic Recovery Task Force. What we did was purchase lunches and food from our local businesses to provide to first responders to keep those businesses going, and then, of course, to be supportive of our first responders at that time. And you can see in the photo, ambassadors carrying pizzas, and I believe that is um, the nursing staff in perhaps the St. Francis Hospital receiving those lunches. And then lastly, um, in April of 21, my predecessor, Karen Flood, res uh, retired, and um, a, a search uh, was conducted. It would be October when they found me, and she stayed on until then. I didn't start during this time period, but that, that happened, so we wanted to acknowledge that. Thank you. Thank you very much, and, and thank you for your leadership in the, in the presentation. And I just want to um, I mean, you outlined a lot of different work. I want to commend you for, it's obviously been a very, very difficult time for, biz for businesses uh, in the area, and you've, you've <coughs> stepped in, right, <laughs> as we're trying to rebound from a lot of this. So I appreciate uh, that some of this work was before your time there, but, but I know you're continuing it. And so particularly some of the things you outlined around um, the, the art and murals and, and, and music and things that really, I think, have been, have been bringing the area back in really positive ways and also um, the, the cleaning work and the 24-7 nature, I think, of some of the services is really important because I think that's been one of the things as we've made some progress around street conditions in some areas that we have not had that 24-7. Yeah. Um, you know, so in my district, in the Tenderloin in particular, as we've seen, we've seen areas like dramatically improve during the day, but then it's like when the ambassador presence and, and other things kind of sunset in the in the evening um it's a different scene at night so so i think taking that 24 7 approach um in the area 
um, is is really important and important to to continue. So, um, I, you know, I did have questions. I, I'm I'm not sure if they're for you or for OEWD, particularly about okay. the um, the the police ambassador program, the SFPD sure. ambassador program, which is kind of coming out of this period was really a new program, as you said, started yes. there. And I just wanted to get a better understanding. First off, of how that program came into being, we obviously have a lot of different ambassador programs going on, um, and trying to understand, um, you know, why this one, but also how, you know, whether this is just another ambassador program similar to the others, or offers something uh, something different. So if you could yeah. start, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I'm happy to, to speak to yeah. that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm also would want to acknowledge your your first comments, which I appreciate. Thank you very much. And I think one thing we tend to forget too is at this time, this was deep in the pandemic, and there were a lot, not a lot of people. Um, coming to work or in the community, and it was our ambassadors, the Union Square ambassadors that were front lines, you know, there, ready, whatever was happening. And there was a lot going on, um, as you acknowledged, you know, in the nighttime, certainly in the daytime um, during this time period. So not an easy time, not an easy time for anyone. So thank you for acknowledging that. Um, the It's really interesting because I'm hearing a lot of questions around ambassadors, and so you're not alone in this. And I think um, when I when I kind of reflect on it, I start to think that, we're all using the term ambassador, and that's just making it a little confusing, but they all actually function completely differently. Um, it's almost as if we all have our staff, we just happen to call them ambassadors, but we're all different organizations doing very different things. So um, ambassador, a, a term, I think, coined probably first with the CBDs and the, and the bids, just the, you know, the, the, the support staff that they have that provide that direct service. Um, usually contracted out with Block by Block and other organizations, maybe Streets Plus and others like that. Ambassadors who are hospitality ambassadors on the streets, but really mostly serve in the capacity of clean, cleaning, power washing, um, just providing those, those eyes and ears to support the community as they're in the district, uh, maybe calling in if there's an emergency, supporting someone with a flat tire, just saw that the other day, that kind of support. And that's, that's staff um, that work with our, with our CBDs. Then you have um, tourism hospitality ambassadors, and I believe those um, are supported through SF Travel. Um, and their, their function is really to support our convention business, um, tourism business, people who are coming here perhaps looking for directions and other, other support. I can't speak to it entirely, it's not my program, but I, I, I get the sense that that's, that's really um, it. And again, additional eyes and ears and just that feeling of support, especially since we don't have all of our workers back in the office, the downtown area, in particular, a little less populated than it has been in the past. Um, and then the police ambassadors, and I think that can be, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a separate function, really a policing function, um, one that I actually really appreciate and why, because I have um, eyes and ears and a police, someone who is a retired, these are retired police officers that we would have otherwise lost, and we know our attrition rates are high, we know that there's a challenge with staffing with the police department, it's nice to be able to maintain these individuals who have experience over 30 plus years, um, who I've noticed are really good at community policing. They engage the businesses, they go in, they talk to people, they're not stuck on their cell phones, um, a different generation of um, people who feel really comfortable um, with community policing and de-escalation tactics. They are not armed, which I also appreciate. 
um, and they can support the community. Many know the community. Many have actually been police officers in the districts that they serve, which we appreciate, either as captain, higher rank, because they, they're retired. They've been in the district for a long time. They know the businesses, and they feel very comfortable, and they provide a level of just support that is really different, and it allows for the police department to do what they need to do, um, maybe you know more serious crimes and, and things like that to support that. So those are the police ambassadors, and I think maybe we're just at a loss of naming conventions, <laughs> like what to describe or call these things, but um, they are very different functions. Thanks for clarifying. And yeah, no, I think it is, it is important as we've had so many different ambassador programs, and I agree with you that the term has, you know, covers a lot of folks whose functions can be um, very different. And, I, and I, I would just add to the sort of background that, that you laid out around the, um, the CBDs and BIDs doing the, um, uh, you know, having ambassador programs, also the longstanding city program through the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs, which I, which I think were our first ambassadors actually okay. going back uh, quite a while, over a decade, um, in, in some areas of the city and, and have provided directly, not, not through, um, through the um, CBDs, but directly through that office. Um, ambassadors that, that are also overlapping uh, in a lot of these areas, and we've been uh, big supporters of, of that office and their efforts and as, as well. Um, I, you know, I think one of the, what's interesting in hearing about it is, because at, at first I was wondering if there was a limit, there's such a demand on ambassadors through the programs that I wasn't sure if this was coming from a place of not being able to obtain ambassadors through the other programs or Urban Alchemy or, or, or the, uh, the different programs. Uh, but it sounds like it's less of that and more that, that these folks are performing, albeit unarmed, more of a community policing function, um, which is different, right? I don't think most ambassadors are viewed as doing policing that's or right. Community policing work. So, so it sounds like it's a the expectations around what they're doing and how they engage are a little different. Are different than yeah. from other ambassadors. Although I think we do support and hope that our, all of our ambassadors are serving as eyes and ears and would report a crime if they saw one or would report an incident or try to support someone who's experiencing trauma or some sort of situation. But yes, I think there is that distinction. And then, so, so how many? Um, SFPD ambassadors mm -hmm. are operating now. Yeah, in so in this time period, in the beginning, um, my sense was about four. I don't have that number. I have to get back to you on that. Um, but there weren't very many. And they, you know, um, I don't know. I, I understand that we were one of the first locations that this was launched just kind of as a test market. Um, and I think at this point, we may have six. But I'll double check that number for and you. Are those full time? No, 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 no. This is part of the um, what is it? Nine, nine program. The, the part time. Ten. They're ten, no. Oh. They're not ten B. Okay. Um, they're retired officers, um, and they can only work on a part time certain number um, of hours per week. So no, they're not. I wish, but unfortunately, they're not. And then does the alliance have ten B officers as well? Correct. And yes, so we, staff, we, we pay for two, um, just two different shifts through the day so that we can have access. We, like I mentioned, 24-hour, uh, we provide 24-hour support, so we like to have. And unfortunately, their um, staffing, of course, is a, an issue, so we don't always have access, um, and they're not always able to staff that position. 
Got it. Thank you for, for clarifying all that. I did have a question just for sure. one of the OEWD folks, because just I, I'm curious, just following up on this, like how many, thank you. Um, thank you. How, for this model of the police ambassadors, how many of the uh, CBDs are, are now using that and, and if there are plans for further expansion of, of that program? Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Um, to my knowledge, OEWD is not involved in the Community Ambassadors Program through San Francisco Police Department. That would be a question more appropriate for SFPD. Okay, but you're working with each of the... Yes, the, the only one that's to my knowledge that does have them in their area right now would be uh, Union Square, but if others have them right now, that's they may, they may not. I'm not aware of any, but I'll do, I'll do a double check and get back to you. Thank you. Um, and, and I think it's... Um, I just want to flag, I think it's a, an interesting area and one that, you know, it's worth us discussing and just reflecting for a second. We had really a move starting in 2020 of trying to move away from very heavy police presence if direct policing services weren't needed, a shift toward more of an ambassador model. We've obviously seen a, an explosion in the number of ambassadors, the number of different types of programs. I think we're all sorting out sort of what makes most sense in most neighborhoods. And then the entry on the scene of SFPD ambassadors is a, is a hybrid that I understand may be viewed by some as, as opportunities to have more um, sort of quasi-police presence, but also some of, the, some of the pushback around having police and the SFPD uniform and so forth, yeah. which you know, was very triggering. For some folks, it's like having the ambassador come who is not SFPD, right, is, can, can often de-escalate uh, a situation. Yeah. And so I just, I, I don't think there's an easy you know, answer. I just wanted to, to identify that it seems like we're, we're, we're in a time where they, I, I will just say it's my hope that we're not sort of phasing out the model of the non-police true community ambassador in favor of sort of extending the police department into this realm and that's that's why I asked the questions and, and uh, appreciate no I appreciate it. that yeah. and I and I certainly feel like we we don't feel over we don't feel overrun by support. We love, yeah. we appreciate it, it's, we need it, um, especially now more than ever. The police ambassadors are actually wearing khaki pants and a, and a jacket. They're not, they're not, they don't look like police officers. So they look very much like ambassadors as they are. They're not, um, they're not uh, wearing, you know, they don't have guns or any of that sort of thing. They just have radios. So um, less triggering to just to yeah, kind of speak that's, to that I didn't to realize that because they yeah the photos in the report have like SFPD it says SFPD and, ambassador on their on their jackets right. um just as it says you know like Union Square Alliance on the back of my jackets um and the other CBDs as well so they just to so people know that they are dis, di, distinct from my my ambassadors or anybody else's um I'll just call them support staff <laughs> Just so we can distinguish. But um, yeah, no, it feels, I would actually say anecdotally, it feels as though community would like to see more. I would actually say more police presence, to be honest. Um, traditional police presence, that's what I'm hearing. Um, but really do appreciate, as I mentioned before, the community uh, policing model of these ambassadors. It, it, it has gone over quite well. Um, I understand that they're in Chinatown. I understand that they're in... Um, in, uh, I believe, North Beach, but I think certainly uh, Fisherman's Wharf, and I understand they're in the West Portal District. I think that other communities are wanting them. I don't, those are the, you mentioned, you know, kind of where are these. At this time period, it was new. 
it has since expanded and now we're starting to see them in other, other districts throughout the city. Again, staffing shortages, we don't have, I think a lot of the police officers are, are certainly burnt out, especially after events like we experienced in November with the looting and other things and really trying to protect the community. It can be, it can be challenging and so to have these um, retired police officers staying on, um, which I actually think is, is helpful for them too because it's a very stressful taxing job and it is kind of nice to be able to wean down versus you know just quit cold turkey and go plant flowers in your garden. I think it's a little challenging for some of them and it's nice to give them um, an opportunity. So I think it serves a number of purposes. Thank you for, for yeah. clarifying and, and, and I think it's helpful. I wasn't sure from the reports whether it was replacing other services or additive, and it sounds like it's additive. It sounds because your 10, 10B presence sounds like it's pretty constant. You could when patrols. we can staff it, and unfortunately, I it's see. not all the time. Right, yeah. and it's not replace. It's you haven't scaled down any other ambassador programs. It no, we right. so our ambassadors are part of our. It, it's contracted. It's part of our commitment to the district through certainly this program. So we can't really scale that down. We have to maintain our contract. Um, and that is really the clean and safe, or the cleaning and, and hospitality in that regard. Got it. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Uh, unless my colleagues have any uh, questions before we go to public comment, uh, we will go ahead and open up public comment on this. Uh, hold on, uh, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Chair President. I just want to make a brief um, comment on, on just the ambassador program in general. I appreciate actually the Union Square Alliance interesting rebranding, uh, but I appreciate it nonetheless. It's great to see. Um, Ms. Rodriguez, you taking a helm of, of this really challenging times, actually in a very difficult space to try to balance it. I think uh, Ms. Flood <laughs> retired on a high note and at the best that she could managing that space. Um, look forward to seeing uh, now that Central Subway has completed its construction, uh, bringing more uh, vibrancy back to that area. Um, you know, look forward to seeing what the Macy's space is going to look like, you know, as that future. Uh, noted that you mentioned, you know, the U Union Square Alliance ambassadors really is serving the members uh, of the alliance and, and trying to coordinate that as a PD ambassadors. I, I think this is more for OEWD, for Mr. Corcus to bring it back to, to them. I, I think that I have raised these questions last two fiscal years, I will continue to raise that, you know, just kind of to see what are the coordinated efforts that really among all the ambassador programs and what is the most cost-effective way to deliver um, the service. Uh, sometimes I don't think that quantity, obviously I think quantity makes efforts, you know, easier uh, to keep streets clean and, and people safe, but I also think that at one, at some point, we ought to be able to really figure out the quantity with with the quality. So we we, we got to figure that out. So thank you so much, and and overall, I wish you all the best for Union Square, and I we really look forward to seeing it uh, to come back alive now with Central Subway completed. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Chan. Um, let's go ahead and open up public comment on this item. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for item number one? Please line up along the right to the curtain wall. Remote call-in members, please press star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. As a reminder, each speaker is allotted two minutes for their comments. Seeing no in-person public comment, we'll go to the call-in line. There are currently three callers listening, but zero in the queue. 
Thank you. Public comment on this item is closed. And I uh, want to thank uh, all the presenters and thank you, uh, Ms. Rodriguez, for, for all of your work and, and also just uh, urge the, uh, the public to go enjoy uh, to don't believe everything you see on Twitter and uh, and I, I mean every time I'm in the area I am uh, my mind is completely blown by uh, how different what I see on the news the national right-wing media and uh, social media is from the filled with music uh, filled with art and filled with um, businesses and residents and others trying to to uh, to to do the best for their community. So uh, a lot of positive changes. We, we all know we got work to do, but uh, appreciate your efforts. Um, so uh, I'd like to go ahead and unless there are uh, other comments from colleagues or questions, um, I, I'd like to uh, make a motion uh, to, uh, to go ahead and, and forward this item uh, with recommendation of the full board. You call the roll. On the motion to recommend this item to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Stephanie? Aye. Stephanie, aye. Member Chan? Chan, aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you, Madam Clerk. The motion passes, and uh, Madam Clerk, please call item two. Item number two is a hearing to discuss the findings and recommendations made in the 2022 citywide nonprofit performance audit report entitled, the city should more effectively evaluate the impacts of services provided by community-based organizations and requesting the city services auditor and city performance division to report. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001 when prompted enter meeting ID 2499-524-8697, then press pound twice. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. The system will prompt that you have raised your hand. Please wait for the system to indicate that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And uh, my understanding is uh, the intent is to have this item actually heard on February 16th. Uh, this is sponsored by Vice Chair uh, Stephanie. And so uh, we will entertain a motion to continue the item. Um, Super, uh, Vice Chair Stephanie, I don't know if you had any comments or wanted to go directly to, to public comment. Um, thank you, Chair Preston. Yes, I, uh, I don't, I'm sorry that this ended up on the agenda. It was not intended to, so we would um, definitely like to have this on February 16th and look forward to a very robust hearing then. So I would like to move to continue the item to February 16th. Thank you very much, uh, Vice Chair Stephanie. And Madam Clerk, why don't we open up uh, public comment on the continuance? Thank you, Mr. Chair. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment on the continuance of item number two? Please line up to your right. Remote public call-in members, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. As a reminder, each speaker is allotted two minutes for their comments. First speaker, welcome. Please approach the podium, adjust the microphone, you may begin. Good morning, Supervisors. Debbie Lerman from the San Francisco Human Services Network. Um, I, I just want to say it, it has been 20 years since a group of nonprofits and city departments spent about a year and a half in a nonprofit contracting task force that was spearheaded, spearheaded by Supervisor Sophie Maxwell at a time of the, the first dot-com bust when we were struggling with resources. And that report 
had 13 recommendations to streamline the city's contract and monitoring process. So a little bit of history that some of you may not be aware of. Um, there's some success from that effort, notably the whole joint monitoring program that the controller's office created, but most of the recommendations were never implemented, um, despite the fact that everybody in that room agreed. Um, many departments reverted to their individual processes and a lot of those problems are still here today. So I just want to take this minute to thank the controller for publishing this report and Supervisor Stephanie for her um, attention to this effort. We are very excited that the city is taking a fresh look at reforming the monitoring process and we are looking forward to a robust discussion and hopefully a collaborative process between the city and its departments and the nonprofit sector to make these recommendations a reality. And I'll have more to say in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good morning uh, to our Board of Supervisors. Thank you for hearing our voice. Uh, to Madam Clerk, thank you as well, and the rest of the government body that helps move this wonderful city forward. Thank you for uh, your patience with us this morning. My name is Kylan Fowler. I am the Community Relations uh, Manager at San Francisco Community Health Center. Uh, as a health center in the Tenderloin, we often define our roles as a safety net uh, of the safety nets, ensuring the most valuable uh, marginalized communities um, are provided with the highest quality of health and support services. Uh, for decades, we have been a contractor with the San Francisco um, Department of Public Health, and we have multiples of contracts uh, that fund us through providing critical life-saving services for the homeless individuals living uh, with HIV, transgender community, and people who use substance, those with chronic mental illness, and so on. Uh, for decades, we have been accountable for the work in, um, that we do in our partnership with San Francisco Public Health um, Department to ensure that we report on a work on our work and objectives uh, and the outcome, we are extremely serious about this matter. What is also essential for us uh, to share with you uh, is for many years, HIV contracts with no, with no increase, I'm sorry, only recently did we as a community advocate for the minimum cost of doing business increase in our contract. But for years being flat funded, I'm sorry, for many years being flat funded meant that we were un, uh, underfunded in our HIV organizations. Organizations like ours has faced with increase of demands and we, and we to keep up the increased expenses and personal costs whether a contract uh, remains static. I'm sorry. The interruption, your time has expired. Sorry, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Julian Johnson. I'm the health policy analyst at the San Francisco Community Health Center. I would like to just add on that for all of our DPH contracts, our indirect rates are capped. And they're capped at a level that does not actually cover the costs that needed to support our organization's infrastructure. And it is this underfunded infrastructure that is necessary to keep to compliance, data, and monitoring related activities. 
What this means is that all of our organizations have to engage in other ways to raise private funds to ensure that we can continue to contract with the city and remain viable and sustainable throughout time. We have always supported accountability and transparency for nonprofits receiving city funding, but we hope this conversation will lead to broader discussion surrounding how nonprofits and city government can hold each other accountable and that there is mutual commitment in ensuring appropriate levels of support and funding genuinely match service expectations and compliance requirements. Um, we look forward to continuing this conversation on the 16th at the hearing and welcome any future questions or conversations with supervisors on this matter. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the chamber that would like to address the committee on this item? We'll go to the phone lines. There are currently six listening with three in the queue. Jaime, can you please forward the first caller? Good morning. Uh, this is Ilsa Lund. I'm calling in from Larkin Street Youth Services. I just want to uh, thank the committee for taking a really critical look at the um, monitoring and oversight process. I think there's tremendous opportunity for uh, improvement and streamlining uh, Larkin Street contracts with MOCD, HSH, DPH, OEWD, DCYF, every single one of these departments has uh, a different way of doing business, a different uh, way of monitoring um, our performance, a different invoicing process, a different portal. Um, and uh, Larkin Street is fortunate in that we have uh, infrastructure, entire teams of people who are dedicated to managing our relationships with our public funders, um, our data, our finance and invoicing uh, team so that we can uh, remain in good standing and perform on our contracts. So very, very few of these contracts of these costs are actually covered by the contracts um, that demand that we have uh, this infrastructure in place. And, um, you know, we're a large enough um, organization to be able to, to manage contracts successfully, but we're leaving a lot of organizations out um, who don't have that infrastructure because it's uh, just it's so much work to do business with the city. So um, I think this is an opportunity to invite more folks in uh, and improve the system for everyone. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for your comments. May we please have the next caller? Hi, everyone. Can you all hear me okay? Yes. Yes. Hi. Um, my name is Vita, and I am the Director of Education at the Chinese Culture Center. Um, and I'm, I'm here today to say that we really support accountability for nonprofits receiving city funding, um, and also recognize that we're subject to extensive reporting, site visits, and audits. And over all this time, for um, all the, the decade that we've been funded by the city, um, the Culture Center has been in compliance. We've been organizing festivals for over 13 years now, um, funded by the OEWD. And as a culture group, we keep our communities thriving by really building out an ecosystem for our creatives um, to work intergenerationally and to really contribute to community development through the arts. Um, and so right now, um, I'm here to kind of say that right now the department's lack of an understanding on the true cost of services um, and the impact that we have um, on our communities. And in doing, um, and in having these like extensive reporting measures 
it's really it really provides an unrealistic expectation for a nonprofit's ability to sustain adequate funding um, from other sources. So, um, I really want to urge um, you all to provide an opportunity for us to standardize, streamline, and improve monitoring process and work in collaboration with um, the nonprofit. Um, so, thank you for listening to me. Thank you so much for your comments, Vida Zhang Kung. Um, pardon me. May I please have the next caller? Hello, committee members. Uh, my name is Andrew Tan, and I work with several par community partnerships at Safe and Sound. I support accountability in nonprofits, and I want to share that there are existing measures that we engage in with our current government partners, including quarterly reports, monthly invoices, and regular audits. Additionally, many of my colleagues have shared that engaging in government contracts can cost more than the contract provides, resulting in challenges to meet burdensome time-consuming requirements with limited staff. Um, I know accountability is vital when taxpayer funds are used, but I want to give additional context to the environment most nonprofits are living in. Thank you for your time. I look forward to continuing the conversation on 216. Thank you very much for your comments. We currently have six callers in the queue with one person in the speaking. May we please have the speaker? Um, good morning. I'm Natalie Asun. I am the Director of Community Engagement and uh, Government Relations with Richmond Area Multi-Services. Um, thank you so much, committee and um, community providers who are uh, participating this morning in the call. Um, I, you know, along with the other speakers prior to me, um, are the community-based organizations and nonprofits in our city. We are the arms of the county into communities, um, and the and the necessity of our services to our community members are very necessary and needs continued uh, funding. Uh, we do support accountability for nonprofits receiving city funding, and we are subject to extensive reporting, site visits, and audits. Um, most of our nonprofits are in full compliance with requirements. We also support holding departments accountable in their dealings with nonprofit partners. We do understand that there are um, a lot of regulations that are part of, you know, receiving funding from the county. But the county also, um, in its own process, there is a big delay in our nonprofits receiving our funding from uh, the county. So an example that I want to give, our contracts for the fiscal year starts in July, uh, but our funding do not, most of the time, at least in my organizations, we do not receive our funding until April of the following year. So this means we have to carry a lot, have a lot of reserves and a lot of other extras that we have to make sure that our services are still provided so that the deliverables in our contracts are met. Um, by the end of the fiscal year. We look forward to um, ongoing conversation with city and county and your committee to ensure that our nonprofits are taken care of. I apologize Thank you for, for the my time. Thank you so much for your comments. We're looking for any additional callers on the line. There are no additional callers. Thank you. Public comment on this item is now closed. And um, on the motion to continue this item to February 16th. Uh, Chair uh, Preston? Yes. Can I just say one oh, thing? Please, please go I'm ahead, Vice Chair Stephanie. That. 
Yeah, I just wanted to um, thank everyone who called in and um, Debbie Lerman and I have met um, with a number of nonprofits and we continue to um, we will continue to host those meetings. Also, I just wanted to say thank you to Kylan and Julian for um, coming to public comment. I know that my chief of staff was in the chambers and I hope um, she reached out to you. We definitely want to hear from the nonprofits and what they're experiencing. Um, so, and we're working with Larkin Street Youth Services. They were in the meeting with Debbie with HSN and to Vita, Andrew and Natalie. Um, please reach out to my office at stephaniestaff at sfgov.org if you haven't done so already. We definitely want to hear your point of view. And I think one of the things that was said in public comment that I can agree with more is that accountability goes both ways. You know, we are looking to hold not only nonprofits accountable, of course, but also ourselves accountable and the departments in how we maintain this relationship, this very important relationship between what um, our nonprofits are doing for our city and then how we treat them as well. So I'm very excited for this work and do want to acknowledge uh, Supervisor Maxwell and all the work she did back then. And I look forward to implementing that and having a great hearing on the 16th. So um, thank you again for those who called in and for all those that we'll be working with. Thank so you. So thank you, Chair Preston. Thank you, Vice Chair Stephanie, and, and thank you for your leadership on this. And I am also looking forward to, to the hearing on February 16th, but to get there, let's uh, do the motion on the motion to continue this item to February 16th. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call the roll. On this motion, Vice Chair Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you. That motion passes. We will see everyone interested in this on the 16th. Looking forward to that. Uh, Madam Clerk, do we have any further business before the committee? There's no further business before the committee. Thank you very much. We are adjourned. TV. San Francisco Government Television.